For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Hey folks, sorry for the delay in episodes. I've been on the road with the Fly Fishing Film Tour for the last couple weeks, and I still haven't quite figured out how to work for the tour, and the Drake Magazine, and the podcast, and fish. Because all four of those things are equally important. But anyways, ten days ago, I left my home in Denver, and drove north until I hit some fishable water. But I wasn't alone. For the next eight weeks, I'll be sharing hotel rooms with a couple of other characters that you might be hearing from quite a bit in the coming months. Because these two guys are also working the road crew for the Fly Fishing Film Tour. There's Rex. (laughs) Oh god, that's gonna be a tough one. Rex is pretty even keel, but more often than not, he has a smile on his face. And then there's Paul. Oh, right in here. Oh, dude. That's that good water. Oh, here we go. Oh, yo, 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 back it up that way. Oh, my God. Oh. Mm. No, it just, I got nervous. While Rex is a pretty subdued guy, Paul is over the top with everything he does. I mean that in the best way possible. These two guys have known each other for over a decade. They grew up fishing together. They now guide at the same lodge in Alaska. And they really even each other out, both when we're in the car and on the boat. And when we're not working, we fish. And so far, our fishing days have tended to follow a routine. We load up the car. We drive the car. We fill up the F-250 with diesel. We listen to crappy country music. And eventually, we make it to some water. Doing great yourself? Good. It's uh, supposed to be like 48. But before we can hit the water, we gotta get the beta. Rex, Paul, and I found ourselves in a small town in Montana. There wasn't much there, just a picked over grocery store, a post office, and of course, fly shops galore, one of which we entered. And what we've found is that once you enter the local fly shop, there's another checklist that you follow. You gotta meet the management. Uh, my name is Pete Shanafelt. So this was actually the first shop here, oh, the it? Angler. Um, we're kind of a, uh, I, we're actually the fourth owners now. You could say it's a curse here, but I don't, I don't think it is now. I think we're good. Pete's a big dude with a cheerful grin, full facial hair, and a tennis ball that he was throwing for his dog in the gravel parking lot out front. How'd you end up here? Well, I got out of prison about six years ago. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, After you meet El Jefe, you got to make nice with the shop guys. I, uh, that's always a good one. <laughs> um, I was a guide over in Missoula for about 10 or 11 years. Loved tailwaters. Grew up in Idaho fishing a lot of tailwaters, spring creeks. Um, anyway, long story short, we just said one day, uh, hey, man, we don't want to be fishing guides the rest of our lives. Let's go do something else. And so we ended up... Uh, Yeah, checking out the Bighorn. The Bighorn being Montana's famed tailwater. We were in Fort Smith at the Bighorn Angler Fly Shop. Do you know what the forecast is looking like today? Uh, You gotta ask which flies are working. 44 degrees, low of 29, a little bit of wind, and mostly sunny. 
What's uh, what's going to be the game plan for a day like today? Uh, mostly indicator fishing and uh, streamers. That would be the go-to. You got to buy flies. So what do you pick it up here? Any betters. With bead heads? Uh, I got three without, two with. Can you just describe an Eddie Vedder to me? Oh God, that's gonna be a tough one. Uh, I'm rocking a size 18 to 20. Uh, it's got a little bit of a casing, a bit of flash through it, pink head, and a little. it looks like a small soft hackle being run all the way through the body. Cool, like Sound a cell bug of some sort? Yeah, exactly. Maybe a little bit of egg? Mm, I wouldn't have said it, but someone else might. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to coordinate a shuttle. Yeah, yeah, we can get the shuttle. And pick up whatever gear you forgot at home. Are you a pair of gears? Yeah. Mine are in six. I ripped them in two in a while. Yeah, what size do you wear? Uh, mediums. But then sometimes you go a little too far and get too much information. And then, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are kind of, you know, down on last year. We had a lot of water. Um, they're looking like they're managing it pretty well this year. Um, too yeah. much water last year. Too much, yeah. We had, well, what they they were, they didn't plan for. It. They, they saw it coming, but the bureau controls everything. There's a lot of, a lot of politics going on with it right now. If that bureau and all that's been kind of doing what they wanted to, and we've got a, I think we said over a hundred million dollar fishing industry right here in Fort Smith. So I mean that's a lot of money, and you know people want people want their river back, and you know have awesome fishing. You didn't think that this episode was just going to be about how to approach a new fishery. There are other podcasts out there for that. So today, we're going to take a float down Montana's Bighorn River. While we're out there, we'll throw some lines, we'll hear about the conflict surrounding the fishery, and what that conflict means for both the fish and us fisher folk. And finally, we get to meet the happiest fishermen in the world. Stick around. This is nice. This is a good good program we're running here, guys. Where we are, Paul? We're fishing on the Bighorn River near Fort Smith, Montana, middle of uh, middle of nowhere. What's going on today? What's the weather look like? Beautiful. It's it's 45, 50 degrees outside, and uh, I gotta be honest, I'm pretty sure this is as good as it gets for winter fishing. So I was trying out a new microphone for this float, and I didn't quite get the levels right. So bear with us in some of the subpar audio. <laughs> I mean, we've been catching fish all day, which has been great, too. Oh, mother son of a... <laughs> oh, God. God. Yeah. Oh, it's going to happen. The water levels were looking pretty good, right around 3,500 CFS. The boat was floating fine, and we were able to narrow down the spots where fish were likely holding. And right off the bat, we were catching fish, mainly on those Eddie Vedders... And Ray Charles that the shop had recommended. I got a woman way over town. That's good to me. Oh yeah. I can feel it. Don't you don't you hate it when you, you feel really good about like the fish hitting and then it hits? It's almost like too much of a it's almost like too Yeah? Fish on! Dude, that's a nice fish. Oh, Nice white fish. <laughs> Damn, that might have been the nicest fish of the day, Rexy. It's going to happen right now. Not now, but now. But apparently over the last few years, 
like Pete mentioned, things haven't been this good. The Bighorn River boasts a wild trout population that rivals any in the world, drives more than $100 million in economic activity, and irrigates thousands of acres of ag land in Montana. I ripped this audio from a movie that was recently released by the Bighorn River Alliance, and it outlines the troubles that the river is facing. Unfortunately, this river that we love so much is at risk. So here's a quick overview of the problem. The Bighorn River in Montana is a tailwater, meaning that there's a dam upstream that regulates river flows. This dam also holds back water, which creates Bighorn Lake. Way upstream on the uppermost tip of the lake, all the way back in Wyoming, there's a boat ramp called Horseshoe Bend that in recent years has become inaccessible because of a bunch of sediment that's built up where the boats are supposed to go in the water. So in order to keep this boat ramp open, the water managers at the Federal Bureau of Reclamation have increased the water levels in the lake. I've worked on many blue ribbon trout fisheries before, and I have never worked on a river such as the Bighorn that is so economically important to the state, but yet so overlooked and mismanaged by federal and state agencies. And the problem is that with all the extra water in the reservoir, the storage capacity of the lake is less than it should be. So when a whole bunch of rain and snowmelt flows downstream, the water managers have been letting out way more water than is healthy for the river. Horseshoe Bend, unfortunately, it's filling in with sediment. So it's becoming impractical for the Park Service and BOR to continue to maintain reservoir levels that are benefiting this access point that does not have a life. While so many rivers across the western United States have too little water, the Bighorn has too much. When you keep the lake too full and you have, you're forced to release water that isn't going through the hydropower turbines in there, it's not generating hydropower. And if you're not generating hydropower, you're not generating hydropower revenues. So when they're spilling water, water that would normally have gone through the turbines, you're wasting taxpayer dollars. Do you also have a biologist you'd recommend I speak to about the uh, mass and the numbers? Yeah, there's a guy, uh, Mike Ruggles. To get a little bit more information, I called up that fisheries biologist. Yep, I'm Mike Ruggles. I'm the fisheries biologist for uh, the Bighorn River and based out of Billings, Montana. I cover uh, the Muscleshell River, the uh, middle part of the Yellowstone, the Pryor Mountains. That's uh, the, the majority of my area in addition to the Bighorn. So. And I asked Mike how the increased water levels in the Bighorn have affected the fishery. I know there's more water. It's more difficult when you get into those bigger releases for folks to be able to find places where they can wade fish. and So it has the potential to become pretty dangerous. So boats, swamp, things like that. But uh, to find places where you could actually get out and do some wade fishing, it's, it's nearly impossible. So not totally, but it's tough. So a great fishery, but uh, certainly a different ride. When there's more water, uh, certainly that spreads the number of fish out. Does it decrease the populations? Does it harm natural reproduction? You know, typically, uh, there was a study completed a couple years ago that looked at western tailwaters. And uh, big water years with uh, high winter releases and high spring releases typically favor good brown trout reproduction, and we've seen that on the bighorn. Um, So this year, when we were out, we saw some pretty good reproduction coming up, particularly in the brown trout rainbows, which really ignite steady flows, not super high, more of that spring creek type uh, environment. 
uh, flows were so high for so long that it probably made a lot of those reds failures. So we didn't see much for rainbow reproduction, but you know they're they're still there. They're still hanging on. We're not worried that they're going to blink out or anything like that. But the problems don't end there. The biggest impacts to Sunlight Ranch is the extreme flooding and bank erosion that we're suffering, not only just on the nine miles of, of river frontage that Sunlight Ranch has, but on the entire 50 plus miles. In a comparison of aerial photos taken over the last decade, the river has drastically cut land from the outside bends. Granted, the inside bends of the river grow due to sediment being deposited there. So all in all, there's little net land loss. But when different parties own opposite sides of the river, one landowner is losing while the other is gaining. And the reason I bring this up is to emphasize how many different players are affected by the improper water management and therefore have a stake in fighting for more regular flows. And the Bighorn River Alliance is doing just that. Their coalition of anglers, businesses, and landowners have been very effective and vocal about controlling the amount of water in the river. It's, it's just crucial that somebody step in, into the middle of this and say, you cannot continue to operate this, this river for six or seven boats at Horseshoe Bend and, and do the d damage not only to the river economy, but to the property owners. Hey, microphone, you hear that awesome squeaky reel? But back on the river with Paul and Rex, things were going pretty well. But before we can get back on the water, a few words from the folks who make this podcast possible. This episode of the Drakecast is brought to you by our friends at Scott Fly Rods. The other day, I spoke with Brian Husky, a photographer and filmmaker with Fish Bite Media, about why he uses Scott Fly Rods. I've really been happy to be part of Scott Fly Rods. They're quality rods. They have high-quality components. The line guides are fantastic, and the line seeps out for the guides smoother and better than I think in any other rods that I've fished. And when you're on a Spring Creek and delicate presentation, you need a line to move through the rod. Whether it's a long cast with a single hander or satisfaction when you fire the long cast with a spay rod and hearing that running line slap against the rod as it extends across the river. Those are like food for the soul of the junkie and all of us that just breathe that stuff. Head down to your local fly shop today and give one of these fine Scott rods a toss. This episode is also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. I checked in with Yellow Dog employee Camille Egdorf to see where she's been lately. I was down in Guyana, out in uh, South America, and we were targeting Arapaima. The jungle is, it's a whole nother world. You stop on the river and then you hike through the jungle to get to these ponds where these Arapaima live. And um, you, know, you kind of have to watch where you step. You know, you got fire ants that are crawling across the trail and if you step on one of them, they'll grab onto you and it hurts. It really hurts. Everything out there has some sort of way to give you some gnarly bite or rash. And uh, these arapaima, they get to be five, six, maybe even seven feet long. And uh, we did have a couple that came to the boat that were in excess of five feet. Yeah, it's a pretty intimidating sight when they come up to the boat. The guide gets in the water and they grab them around the front and they wrestle them and grab them by the peck fins. And it's just, it's a wild experience. And I kind of had to think twice about getting in the water with one. Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures will make sure you get there. But it's up to you whether or not you jump in the water with that giant fish. Check them out at yellowdogflyfishingadventures.com. Alrighty, just before the break, we were getting back on the bighorn with Paul and Rex. Should I set up a streamer rod? No. Okay. Well, well played. Thank you. Yeah, big fish. Big fish. 
she's a jumper. Dude, this is just like, this is aw, this fishing is incredible. Nice brown trout. That salma trutta, that trutta butter. While the fishing on bobbers was really hot, we were noticing that these fish weren't quite what we were expecting. So yeah, I mean, we, we had pretty good fishing pretty much all throughout our float. Um, it was it was strange though. A lot of the fish, particularly the brown trout, just looked really, really snaky. And we didn't see any fish with blight or anything like that, but for whatever reason, it, maybe they were post-spawn, maybe they were just skinny because it was the winter, but a lot of the fish looked scary skinny. Um, but I mean, they were fighting great. Uh, they were definitely kicking off whenever we let them off the let them out of the net. But for whatever reason, they just seemed to be a little bit skinnier than you'd expect from a Montana brown trout. But this was just observational, anecdotal evidence of the fish being negatively affected by high water. So I asked biologist Mike Ruggles about how the fish have been faring with the high water of the past half decade. You were crunching some numbers uh, before our chat. We were catching quite a few snaky fish, not much to them, pretty skinny. Are you seeing a decrease in the like weight to length ratio of fish over time due to high water? Yep, so I pulled those numbers together. So there's a couple things that are going on. There's really not that many more skinny fish than what there were. If we look back to 2011, and in 2011 we created a, a huge uh, year class of fish. There was a lot of fish, lots of water. Actually, um, we're looking a little bit, little bit better than they were last year. But looking back from 11, there's been that decline. And so that's looking at the trophy size, like the brown trout over 18 inches. Once we get into those preferred size fish, you know, like the 12 inch size range in there, and smaller, steady is in the preferred size. But the the small fish, the substock and stock size fish you know, those six to 10 inchers, they uh, really were doing well and they were, you know, just fat fish. And so I think the high water was a challenge for some of those fish. But as always, there are many factors to consider here. So not only did we have the high water this year, we also had warmer than normal water this year. And pretty close to some, not quite lethal, but definitely stressful conditions. And so it's not an entire surprise that there is some decrease in, in overall relative weights, but not nearly as much as what I anticipated by on wow, it just seems like we're seeing a few more uh skinny fish, but uh you know, overall it's it's not a whole lot different than it's been in the last And there's another variable that might be limiting the size of the fish. This is a little off topic but still connected. A friend of mine wrote a piece about the beaver head and quite a few of the shops around there wanting to up the daily limit for the number of trout you can take which would remove the number of smaller fish and theoretically keeping the biomass the same, more fish would grow to a little bit larger sizes. Yep. Yep. And on the bighorn, that's, uh, there's just not a lot of people that are harvesting fish. There's a few, and but it's pretty selective. Those that are taken off limits are, are a rare person out there. So um, having some more mortality uh, due to fishing harvest uh, probably would not hurt the bighorn. If everyone went out there and started keeping their limits, then we would likely have to start changing some regulations. But at this point, we could tell them they could take, you know, 10, 15, or 20, and if they behaved the same, it wouldn't make any difference because there isn't any true heavy fishing mortality. There's there's limited fishing mortality. And maybe things weren't as bad as we thought either. Dude, if you see one of those guys hooked up, will you let me know? 
I'll be so pumped for them. How's it going, fellas? Wonderful, man. How's the streamer bite? Pretty awesome. Good, really well. Don't tell us that. <laughs> You're gonna give this kid an aneurysm. <laughs> All right, that's everything's over for me. <laughs> Swing? No, I'm I'm taking Rex's rod and throwing a streamer on that. He can use this. Hey Rex, can we switch that rod? Here, you can just fish this right now. I'd like to fish my rig since it's working. Oh my god, I'm so fired. If I catch a fish on the streamer, you you're this is a good time to have a mic on me. <laughs> Look at this streamer. Oh, oh yeah. dude. <gasps> Follow! <laughs> dude, you really forget that you have this mic on. I asked Paul if he could tone down the curse words. Okay, I didn't know that was a thing. I can uh oh, that was a fish! But before he had a chance to respond. Yeah! <laughs> I got this <laughs> Yeah! Dude, give me that fucking net. First fish streamer fish of the year. Yeah. Look at that dude, dude. How do you see the bighorn in the next couple of years as well as the water management playing out? They are, because of the inflow forecast being higher at this time, the Bureau of Reclamation has uh, drawn the reservoir down more than it was last year at this time. Um, the releases in the river are more than they were last year at this time. So, you know, based on that, they're trying to be more prepared for the amount of water that is being forecast. So if conditions stay the same, you know, we don't uh, gain a lot more than 100% or 150% of our snowpack. I think they'll be prepared. You know, so uh, with that, based on our collections of fish this last year, a good bunch of young of the year brown trout that will fill in the, the gap for any of those fish that you saw that were skinny and bigger. They'll likely die off here this winter or spring and uh, and we'll refill those. There's good growth rates in the bighorn and so it just doesn't take long to get some nice quality fish in there. So. I would say that we have an opportunity and a duty to preserve the bighorn waters downstream of the Yellowtail Dam that not only preserve the river, the wild trout, and the recreational opportunities, but that also protect an important economic resource to Bighorn County and the state of Montana. We want balance. We want to return back to more normal um, uh, water management policies where the risk is shared between all stakeholders, the landowners, uh, the recreationists, uh, flat water, uh, the anglers on this river, everybody. It should be well balanced. There is a solution. It's a very simple solution, but it's going to take a political effort to make that change. Now is the time to protect it. Join the fight at BighornRiverAlliance.org. Stick around till the end of the episode, and you'll get to hear Polly tell a story while he's streamer fishing. But first, the thank yous. Fisheries biologist Mike Ruggles, thanks for the good info and all the work you do for Montana's fisheries. A shout out to the whole crew over at the Bighorn Angler. Thanks for letting us crash in your cabin. The folks at Adipose Boatworks, thanks for loaning us a boat. And thanks for letting us drag it across the country. A big thank you to all the members of the Bighorn River Alliance for bringing this situation to our attention and for letting us use the audio from their video, A River at Risk. You can find a link to that movie on our website, drakemag.com. 
Keegan Lynch designed our logo, and our title track is Ain't It Sweet by Phil Cook. Finally, I have a favor to ask of you folks. If you have a friend that is interested in fishing or storytelling, or preferably both, tell him to check out this podcast. And if you feel so inclined, give us a review on the old iTunes. In the comments section, you don't have to say anything about the show. Just tell us your favorite species to target. All right. So earlier on in this episode, you heard Polly hook into a nice brown on the streamer. And pretty soon he was finding fish after fish. He's such an animated communicator and angler that I tossed a mic on his lapel and had him tell us a story. So here's Paul on the bighorn. But yeah, we were talking, we were going to talk about the day that I went halibut fishing with my buddy Pat. So do this beach that we land on, it's in Katmai National Park and it's, it's in the middle of freaking nowhere. Yeah, halibut fishing. So the first time I went was like a month prior to the story I'm about to tell, and we got our asses kicked. But a couple of the guys who've done a lot of halibut fishing say you have to... Fuck, that was... I gotta stop swearing. Miss one. <laughs> and um, the guys uh, that have been, you know, working at the lodge for a really long time were telling us that you have to fish through the high tide. And most of the time that we have the opportunity to go halibut fishing, you know, it's like a half a day, get out there quick, and we never stay through the high tide. But this day, I convinced my boss to let me stay out there. And we land on this beach with his Cessna 206 plane, and it's a pretty hard-packed beach, but if you don't know what you're doing and you, you, know, you go too low into the soft sand, you can definitely dig a, a blade. Did you get one? Nice fish, dude. What's the... All right, let's put a bet. Sucker, yes or no? Nice, dude. Oh, big fish. That's a big head shake. Fish one. <laughs> Solid 12 inches. Double! Yeah, dude. First double 2018. Dude, look at how pretty this fish is, man. Chrome bright, man. He doesn't really have that, like, orange we saw earlier in those, those other fish. Yeah, so, um, anyways, I had a, another chance to go out and uh, redeem myself back on the beach. My boss, my buddy Pat. And where we keep this boat, we basically have to walk it down this estuary river that at low tide, which is usually when we walk it down, because the, the landing, the plane on the beach is easier. Um, it's just basically dragging a boat through sand. And we're coming to the end of where this, this river finally gets into the ocean after just trudging through the sand, and there's air in the way. <laughs> like, couldn't get the bare weight fish. Fish. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's on! Fish two. Dude, that fish just destroyed that. <laughs> All right. See, dude, how, how do you expect me to tell a story when? <laughs> Bear. Anyway, so yeah, we're walking towards. Oh, that was a, that was a fish. Miss two. Oh, oh, shoot. Dude, he came back twice. Fish three. Um. Bears in the middle of the estuary, and we had to wait for that thing for 15 minutes. And uh, it was at that point that I got my friend Pat to kind of stand up, and I was like, all right, dude, you got to throw a couple bears at that rock because it's just, like, not, not moving, not moving for us at all. And, and we're just kind of stuck there. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Because um, the boat, no matter what we do, is just kind of tumbling down the river because it's so shallow. We can't, can't drag it up on the bank. Can't let the, the bear get close to all the stuff we have in the boat, all the bait for the day. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I, I got Pat to stand up, he kind of tr- tumbled over himself. 
and at the same time the boat just hit a large like sandbar in the river and it just spun it halfway around he fell straight on his butt and uh the same oh uh, hold on miss three oh <laughs> dude this is not fair fish four <laughs> pat falls over almost into the water literally like one hand is down into the sand and then the bear started walking like closer to us and so <laughs> so he grabbed his rock man and one throw i just kind of splashed the water bear's gone but you know if you start off your day like that it's kind of just like you know i don't know if i should be jumping into this boat which is also a very interesting thing yeah so the boat that we were using uh used to be owned by timothy treadwell and if you don't know who timothy is timothy was a uh, really great guy, you know. People have a misunderstanding of him. He was doing a, he was doing a lot of work for the conservation of, of brown bears in Katmai National Park. Well, I'm here with one of my favorite bears. It's Mr. Chocolate. Hey, Mr. Chocolate. He's been with me for over a decade, and he's been my good friend. Oh, he's a big bear. He's a big bear. A very big bear. Wow. For 13 years, Timothy Treadwell lived among the grizzly bears in the Alaskan wilderness. During that time, he shot over 100 hours of videotape until 2003, when he was killed by one of the bears he had sworn to protect. He kind of started to, you know, got himself into a little trouble when he got eaten. Uh, you know, basically that caused, caused a large controversy of, you know, bear management in the park and was this guy crazy? Did he have good intentions? But my boss used to spend a lot of time on him fishing a lot of the salmon rivers on the uh, Katmai coast where Timothy was working. And at that time, Timothy would always fish. Oh, nice fish. Fish five. Yeah, dude. Streamer fishing is on. And at the time, Timothy, like, you know, he has all of his food in dry storage. He would love a soup. And, of course, my boss would show up on the coast and feed him along with our clients. And they get to, to meet the guy on television who's messing with all the bears and... Um, I guess my boss kind of just told him one day, if, uh, you know, if you ever get in trouble or anything, I kind of want your boat after I feed you all these meals. And although it was kind of a joke back then, um, well, we ended up with the boat. So it's kind of a weird thing to be standing in the mouth of this river, Katmai National Park, and Timothy's boat, you know. Oh, fish! Fish on! Oh my god! This is every cat! Fish six! <laughs> Dude! Oh, this is not even fair. This is just a joke. Uh, it's a good program. <laughs> How am I supposed to tell a story when I'm catching this many fish? <laughs> oh, man. All right, so, yeah, back to what I was saying. You know, it's just kind of a weird thing to be uh, just in Timothy Treadwell's boat chasing off bears. But eventually we made it and um, made it past the bear, made it past the little riptide where the, the mouth of the Saltwater River entered the bay. And so at that time, we basically had like one instruction, and that was to go catch some halibut and have a good time. That was not an instruction. I'm not going to tell that part. <laughs> basically, that's what our mission was, to go out there and halibut and have a good, go, go out there, catch some halibut and have a good time. And first spot we went to, we don't have any map or any idea what to fish. We can't really see like what the bottom looks like or anything like that. So our boss took off in his plane, gave us a little wind, wind Wing tilt from the sky, fish, oh! Miss four. 
and basically told us, hey, this is the spot you should fish. So we took all of our, all of our dead bait, all of our uh, old salmon carcasses that clients had caught and a couple extra dead fish that showed up on our shore at our lake, threw it in a chum bucket and just sat there and waited. And we waited and we waited and we waited like for hours on end. I think it was about seven hours before we caught our first halibut. As soon as that high tide came in, boom, the first time the rod just starts like diving straight down in the water. I can barely, barely hold on to it because we're using these rods that are like, I don't know. Rex, what do you think? They're like four and a half feet long. They're broomsticks. And first time we caught a halibut, we were told that you can't just, you know, in this tiny little 12 foot lun, that you can't really just grab the halibut with a gaff and bring it in when it's, you know, bigger than 80 pounds or so because, shoot, man, you're just going to go. Is that fish, Rex? Well, yeah, you're going to have a bad time. Oh, yeah, big fish. <laughs> fish seven. Oh, dude, hold on. Yo, keep on, just keep floating with it. This is actually the biggest fish of the day. <gasps> this is not a small fish. Let's see if we can't get a... No, that's not a, that's a decent-sized brown trout right there. You've lost a little bit of credibility. <laughs> what? Credibility? I'm smashing fish. And, hey, day one, this is the first best day of fishing 2018. Like, first best day. I'm going to have a lot more than that. Here, give me that net. <laughs> Don't you agree? First best day. <laughs> Still really not very large fish. This was just 14 inches. Dude, it trucked it. All right, back to halibut fishing. <laughs> we were told that, you know, if you catch a big fish, you definitely can't use a gaff. Just bring them in the boat, because we got so much shit in this boat. I mean, we have a cooler, we have a giant bucket to put the fish in, so our, you know, we don't want our, our boat to smell like fish, because bears will come back when we keep it on the, uh, you know, in the inshore part of that river come and screw with it. So we have to make sure that we keep everything as fish clean as possible. And we kind of look at this fish when it finally comes up to the surface and it's pushing, oh, pushing probably 80 pounds, you know, maybe 90 pounds or so. And, you know, if you're in a 12 foot boat, that's about half the size of the boat. And can't already tell by the, my excitedness on this video recording, I kind of get excited when I catch fish. So we totally lost it. Anyways, you're not using the gaff to get a halibut. There's pretty much only one other thing you can do, and that's called harpooning. You just kind of got to harpoon those big, giant uh, halibut. And in order to do that, our harpoon's only about, you know, three and a half, four feet long, something like that. There's a little tiny ramrod needle attached to a little bit of steel wire. Oh, dude, slow me down for this. I really like this. This is big fish water. Ooh, right there. Dude, I thought I had that. Anyway, so we got this harpoon about three and a half, four feet long, and there's that four and a half inch uh, metal piece of, of needle on the end attached to that wire. And then we have about 20 feet of rope. That 20 feet of rope goes to a giant buoy that's like half the size of my body. So Pat goes in for the first, <laughs> the first harpoon on this giant freaking halibut. And as he's going in for the harpoon, just does it with one hand. Like, he thinks he's strong enough 
to punch a four and a half inch needle of a harpoon through a giant 80 pound halibut and just straight up just doesn't go in at all. <laughs> the next thing we know, the rope's like shooting out because the, the needle had gone in a little bit, but not enough. Oh, that spot is good right there. Oh, <laughs> that was a take, dude. Miss five. Oh, and there's a, there's go risers in there. Fish, nice fish. Fish eight. Not a giant fish, but a nice fish. <laughs> dude, this is so ridiculous. This is, the streamer fishing is just so much better than nymphing right now. Nice fish. Beautiful fish, man. Look at the orange on this one. Blue cheeks. You gotta love those blue cheeks on the brown trout. Anyways, yeah, man, so here we are. Pat's got one hand trying to just spear this giant halibut. Completely botches it. The rope goes in the water. The fish takes off, splashes us in the face. And then it took us another 20 fish. Oh my gosh, fish on again. Fish nine. Are you kidding me? Oh dude, there's a bigger one behind it. <laughs> Holy shh. Oh, I caught myself on that one, huh? This is, oh, it's a rainbow. I'll take that. <laughs> there's a little change up there, you know? Pat Spear, one hand. And so he's trying as hard as he possibly can, almost jump over the side of the boat and grab the rope. Almost goes in, took us about 30 minutes to get the halibut in. We finally got it in the boat, only after we took two gaps, one in the tail, one in the head, and it basically just rested on Pat the whole time. And <laughs> until, until we were sure that the fish was like pretty much done, it wasn't gonna move anymore. If you get a giant halibut, man, like in a tiny, tiny little area like that inside the boat, it is not unlikely that you could totally, you know, break a wrist or fish hits you in the arm or something like that. Super powerful tails. Oh, nice fish. Fish 10. <laughs> Dude. Rexy, why don't you just throw on a streamer? <laughs> Dude. Okay. Oh. Miss six. Okay, what's the, what's the end? What's the takeaway here? <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no punchline right now, um, because closing thoughts. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Closing thoughts. Don't ask Paul to tell a story when he's having the best streamer fishing of 2018. To be honest, my takeaway is that you know if you're bait fishing for halibut in Alaska, or you're throwing little white woolly buggers, you know, in the middle of the winter on the Bighorn in Montana, dude, just being outside is it's like, it, I feel so lucky to be able to go out and fish. And more importantly, just to be able to enjoy these resources, man. They're here, it's public, you know, it doesn't take much to go enjoy them. How to be a American. <laughs> Definitely proud to be a public landowner, that's for sure. 15 minutes, 10 fish landed, six missed. Not a bad day of fishing whatsoever. I'm not sure when we'll release the next episode, but we'll do our darndest to get our acts together and give you something in the next 10 days. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.